So we are in uh, the series, God Revealed. Title of today's message, I Met God. That would have been the true confession of every person present in the text we're going to read today. Would we be able to make that confession? You know, sometimes we'll say things like, oh, I wish God would reveal himself to me personally. I wish God would speak to me directly. I wish... God would just manifest his presence so that I would know that he's real, that he's alive, that he's present. Not uncommon for us to say that. Now, if God were to reveal himself to us in in an amazing way today, would we be ready for that? If he were to speak to us, would we be ready to hear, to receive it? What would it look like to meet God? We're in the book of Exodus. Exodus tells us about the salvation of Israel. They're delivered from slavery. And their journey, their their, their, uh, experience of salvation, it sets the pattern for us as well as believers in Jesus. They embark on a wilderness journey. Their wilderness journey, it also sets the pattern for our discipleship journey. This is uh, given to us in the New Testament. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So as we open the book of Exodus today, Israel is on this miraculous flight. They've been delivered from slavery in Egypt. Uh, They came up to the Red Sea. The Lord parted the waters. They walked through on dry ground. And now they've been in the wilderness for about three lunar months. They're on the Sinai Peninsula, before the mountain. And are they ready for the formative event in their journey that we will read about today? Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. Exodus 19, verse 1. If you've picked up a Bible, uh, you know, from the seat back, it's page 60. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Where are Moses and the people of Israel? Well, they're in the desert, not a a known B.C. camping spot you know, by a lake with all of the amenities. No, they're off the grid in the wilderness. Where in the desert are they? They're before the mountain, Mount Sinai. The traditional site is Jebel Musa. And Jebel Musa is just this massive granite peak. It soars 7,500 feet above the desert floor. And so there they are. It's awe-inspiring before the mountain. It was here in chapter 3 that Moses heard God speaking to him through the fiery burning bush. He asked questions like, who are you, God? Who am I? 
And if I go and speak to the people of Israel on, whom, on your behalf, will they even believe me? And this is what God said to him. Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You shall serve God on this mountain. That final you is actually plural. And so it's not just going to be Moses coming back to the mountain. The people of Israel will be with him. And so the life of Moses has come full circle. God has confirmed his calling with a sign. Not only is he at the mountain, but the people of Israel are there with him. The God who promised to be with him has been with him. If you want to meet God, know that God speaks and he keeps his word. If you want to meet God, know that God speaks and he keeps his word. Chapter 19, verse 3, Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Moses expects to meet the one who spoke to him from the burning bush. As soon as he arrives at the mountain, the first thing that he does is go up the mountain. And as he climbs the mountain, God calls out to him. John Durham, he's a commentator, and he writes this about this verse. The impression the account leaves is that Yahweh is as eager for Moses and Israel to arrive at Sinai as they are to get there. So Moses' eagerness to meet God is met by God's earnest desire to be with him. So again, if you want to meet God, know that God is eager to meet with you. If you truly want to meet God, know that God is eager to meet with you. Chapter 19, Moses ascends and descends the mountain uh, three times. If you read 19 through 40, chapters 19 through 40 of Exodus, you'll see that Moses goes up seven times. It's a pattern in his life. It is to instruct us. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus separates himself from the crowds 45 times to be with the Father. He, he begins his ministry in prayer. He ends it in prayer. He bathes everything that he does in prayer. Before every major turning point in his life, he separates himself to be with the Father. And if we are to follow Jesus in life today, we need to make it our number one priority. More about that next week. So in God's presence, Moses received some instructions for the people of Israel. Chapter 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You yourselves, it's an, it's an emphatic you. You had a front row seat. When I was delivering you from the Egyptians, you saw the ten plagues, my power over creation, me defeating every Egyptian god. Remember how I bore you on eagles' wings. It's a wonderful picture because the eaglet, you know, is in the nest for about a hundred days. And then when it's time for it to learn to fly, sometimes the mother eagle will stir up the nest and actually push that little eaglet out of the nest. And sometimes it doesn't fly too well. Sometimes it flounders and so it's falling down toward the earth and the mother eagle notices that the eaglet is in danger and will swoop down and pick up the eaglet and carry it on its wings. So what is God saying to Israel? Israel, when you came out of Egypt, you were flapping your wings. 
You hadn't gone this way to, before, but I swooped down to carry you all the way to this place. I provided manna in the morning, quail in the evening, water from a rock. When your enemies attacked you, I was there for you. You were totally dependent on my protection and my tender care. Remember how I brought you to myself. I set you apart to belong to me. Moses, I set you apart at the burning bush to know me, to lead the people. People of Israel, I set you apart at the Passover. I passed over your homes and I brought you out so that you could be with me. Now here you are at Sinai. And I've been waiting to meet you here. You see, the Exodus was never just about getting the people of Israel out of Egypt. It was about bringing the people close to God. And the same is true for us. If we're followers of Jesus, being saved in Jesus is not just about getting us to heaven. It is about us getting close to someone, to God himself. Look at what God says in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. What's God saying? Everything belongs to me, but I've chosen you as my treasured possession. That that word, it actually means what is most prized in the royal treasury of the king. And so God is saying, Israel, you're my crown jewel. (laughs) You are my unique and special treasure. Do you see yourself that way today? As God's treasure. During my vacation, I went down to Northern California on my motorcycle to enjoy the redwoods and uh, observe the California coastline, which is amazing. One afternoon, I arrived early at my hotel, and my room was not yet ready. And so I started to talk to the receptionist a bit. She, a Japanese lady named Miyuko. She was so gracious, so hospitable. She prepared a fresh cup of coffee for me. And in our interaction, I sensed that she was a follower of Jesus. The next morning, as I was checking out of the hotel, I felt this prompting to speak to her, but I didn't. Ever happened to you? You sense a prompting to say something and you don't? So I get on my motorcycle and I'm riding through the forest and I'm observing the the coastline and I'm praying and I'm worshiping. I'm even singing Psalm 92 that we sang this morning. Doesn't sound very good, but hey, I'm worshiping and God appreciates it. And then about a half an hour into my journey, I can no longer worship and pray. I just have this strong impression that I need to get back to the hotel. So I turn the motorcycle around and I race back, keeping the speed limit, race back to the (laughs) hotel. And there's Miyuko at reception and she's taking care of some guests. And so I wait my turn and when she's finally free, I go up to her and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say, but I just say to her, Uh, Miyuko, I'm a follower of Jesus. She says, oh, you're a Christian? I'm a Christian. She says, I go to church here, but I don't understand hardly anything, maybe 50% of the message. I said, well, Miyuko, I go to Willingdon Church, and we have some awesome translators. So if you go to our website, you can listen to the messages in Japanese, and I pray that they really 
encourage you. Now, do you believe in a God that sees a Japanese receptionist in Northern California that needs to understand the word in her language? A God that cares that much. As you study, as you work, as you interact with people, do you know that God sees you as his special, unique treasure, his treasured possession? As Israel was chosen, so we have been chosen to know him, to walk closely with him. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse, chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Wow, what an awesome thought. That before God created anything, he thought of us. He had us in mind. That we should be holy and blameless for him. You see, we've been invited into this intimate relationship with God, this face-to-face relationship where we walk with him, we know him, we hear his voice. Verse 6, God says to Moses, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words for the people of Israel. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Here's the reason for their election, for their choosing. They're chosen not just from the nations, but for the nations. They're not just to be a people that lives for itself, that just enjoys its relationship with God. Rather, they're to represent God to the world. That's their calling. And how will they do this? Well, being a kingdom of priests. And so as they worship, as they offer sacrifices, they are to intercede for the nations. That's their calling. As they preserve the word of God as it's revealed to them, That word will be a blessing for all peoples. And here we are, thousands of years later, reading it because of the priesthood of Israel. As we saw in our study of 1 Peter earlier this year, everything that is said about Israel, all of those wonderful things, a chosen race, a a holy nation, treasured possession. All of that is applied to us, the church. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So that's our calling be priests in the world today. Judy and I, on the long weekend, we went to a summer party, Uh, went with some friends, and it didn't take long for us to realize that Judy and I and our friends were probably the only followers of Jesus at the party. It doesn't take that long, right? By the language, by the themes of the conversation, when you play pickleball, all of the adjectives that are added to the ball when it's missed... One of my friends said to me, Ray, real men don't play pickleball. (laughs) I enjoyed pickleball. It's a fun game. But anyways, by the conversation, by the way that people interact, relate, it doesn't take one long to discern whether people follow Jesus or not. And I was reminded, we are to be priests in the world. How does God reveal himself at a summer party? In the book of Daniel, there's a party happening and God writes on the wall. 
Now, God doesn't do that at every summer party. Most often, he speaks through his people. So, by the way that we speak, by the things that we talk about, by the questions we ask, by the interest that we show, we reveal the presence of God. We're carriers of his presence. And then, of course, when you leave the party, then now you have a prayer list. Now you can really go to battle for the people that you have met. You have a list of names. Pray for them. Intercede for them. We're called to be priests in the world. Now, if you want to meet with God, know that God will speak with intention and dramatically alter your life. You will never be the same. As you read through the scriptures, you see that when people meet with God, their lives are dramatically changed. All of a sudden, they have a new reason to be, a new mission. We are called to be priests in the world. Know that God will speak to you with intention and dramatically change your life. How do we prepare ourselves to meet with God? What does Israel do? Exodus chapter 19, verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day, and do not go near a woman. God's about to reveal what has come to be known as the law of Moses, so that these people will know what it looks like to be a kingdom of priests in the world. Preparing to meet God, it demands consecration. The word consecrate and holy, they actually share the same root. To be consecrated is to be set apart as holy, and to be holy, basic to the meaning of holy, is to belong to God, to be like him. So if you belong to God, then you're set apart for him, set apart to serve him. You can, you've prepared yourself, you've been sanctified, you can come close to him. In this moment of preparation, the people wash their garments. It's symbolic for cleansing. There are millions of people in the desert. Water is scarce. And so you can imagine long lineups, families probably in groups preparing to wash their garments, long lines, lots of conversation ensuing. You're never going to get that garment clean. You are so dirty. Maybe not. But anyways, it probably took them up to two days to get all of those garments clean. And God also says avoid sexual activity. Why? Because there's something inherently evil about sexual relations? No. It's a moment of preparation to meet God, a time to be focused, a time to be attentive. Whenever something is important to us, we focus our attention. We avoid doing certain things. 
I remember when I was living in Brazil, commentators would talk about the Brazilian national soccer team, and there would be this debate. Should the players avoid all sexual relations for the month leading up to the World Cup because we got to win the cup? You see, if something is really of value to you, you avoid distractions. And that's the message here. People of Israel, you're preparing for something really important. Be ready. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, a married couple may abstain from sexual relations for a time for the purpose of prayer. At Sinai, the people are to be focused, ready. So if you want to meet God, prepare yourself for the meeting. Prepare yourself. Spend time in adoration. Spend time in praise, in worship, in confession, in repentance. Fast. Get ready. Something's going to happen on the third day. It's interesting in Scripture. Whenever Scripture talks about the third day, there's this rising anticipation. What will happen on the third day? Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish." Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, So as morning breaks on the third day, there are rumblings of thunder, flashes of lightning. A heavy cloud descends on the mountain. A loud trumpet sounds strong. God is coming to his people. The people are trembling in their tents. In fact, Moses himself trembles, Hebrews 12, verse 21. Indeed, so terrifying terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. What's happening here? Well, This grumbling, stumbling people, they are to become a worshiping people. If they are ever going to be priests before the nations, they need to know the God that they serve. And judging by their reaction as they tremble, they're getting much more than they bargained for. If they're ever going to be God's servants in the world, they need to know who he is because meeting Yahweh, it's an awesome thing. Moses leads this trembling people to the mountain. They take their stand at the foot of Sinai, and the whole mountain begins to shake. The experience intensifies the sound. It's actually moving. The sound of the trumpet is moving toward them, and smoke engulfs the mountain. The, The atmosphere is just electric with Yahweh's presence. 
Three times God has said, don't push through. Don't force your way through. Don't encroach on the mountain because if you do it, you will die. You see, God is not this human creation that we manipulate. God's not an idol that we touch and kiss and we put in our pocket. He's not a God to be approached casually. As you read through the book of Exodus, everything prior to this moment, you know, the people of Israel being delivered from slavery, their walk through Sinai to the mountain, everything that happens after this meeting with God, everything that's revealed in the law of Moses, the preparation of the tabernacle, it all hinges on this moment. God revealing himself to his people. Why does he reveal himself this way? One of the things I did on my California trip, as I said, was go through the redwoods and uh, enjoy the California coastline. So one day I found on the map the Larry Roosevelt Forest in Northern California. And and after going through that forest, I was going to go to a remote beach. I I noticed on the map there was an old coastal highway. It should not be called a highway, really. But anyways, that's what it's called. And I went through the Larry Roosevelt Forest. And when you get in there, you know, in the redwoods, it's just magnificent. These towering trees, majestic. It's quiet. It's peaceful. It's like the Garden of Eden. So I just relished that moment. And then I slowly, you know, left left the the redwoods and... uh, the, the landscape became rather, rather sparse. It dried out. This winding road through the coastal hills, a road long abandoned by the state of California, lots of potholes. About an hour into that journey, I was asking myself, why do I do this? What was I thinking when I chose this road? And then I came around a corner, and there below was this pristine, remote California beach, and I said, this is why I do it. And as I descended that hill, came out from the shelter of the coastal hills, the wind picked up. Suddenly there were wind gusts. The ocean was raging. There were white caps, and the, the water was spraying up off the top of the white caps. The, my Goldwing is a fairly heavy bike, but with these gusts of wind, I was actually having a hard time holding the motorcycle up, and I was all alone. And I was filled with awe, this fear-filled excitement, and I started to pray. What do you think it will be like if you meet God? Do you expect to meet God in, in a quiet Garden of Eden? Or do you expect to meet God in the power of the wind, power of the ocean? The first time God appears in this way is in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, and they heard Adam and Eve, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And some very good scholars argue that cool of the day should actually read wind of the storm. You see, Adam and Eve have just sinned. And so it would then read, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the wind of the storm. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The wind of the storm. God appears in this way to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. There is thunder. There is lightning. A cloud descending. The mountain 
trembling, a loud trumpet blast. Do we want to meet God? Do we want to meet God in this way? Why would he meet us in this way? Exodus 20, 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. You see, he's calling the people of Israel to know him, to be like him, to be holy, to be set apart, to live according to his purposes. It's a holy calling. If you want to meet God, expect to be awestruck and filled with healthy fear. Holy, healthy fear. Expect to be awestruck. Don't expect it to be casual. But you might object and say, Ray, Pastor Ray, that's an Old Testament reality. It's a new day in Jesus. And it is. Things are dramatically different. We have access to God the Father through Jesus, our mediator. It's recorded in Romans, it's in Ephesians, it's in Hebrews. And we don't access God on an earthly mountain. No, we enter the throne room of the Father through Jesus by the Spirit. We can speak to God. We enter his presence with joy, with thanksgiving, with confidence because of Christ's finished work on the cross. That is true. His once-for-all sacrifice paid the price for our sin. And so through faith in Jesus, we are justified before the Father by grace. When we stand before God, we stand not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus. Amen. Author of Hebrews talks about this. For you, this is chapter 12 of Hebrews, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. He's, of course, referring to the Sinai experience. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus hasn't invited us back to Sinai. We do have access to the Father. The Holy Spirit does abide within us. These are hallmarks of the Christian faith, of the new covenant in Jesus. This is at the very essence of what it means to be a disciple. The Spirit of God dwelling in us. We having access to the Father. But remember, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in the sound of a mighty rushing wind with tongues of fire. So God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the author of Hebrews warns us, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So as followers of Jesus, we don't exercise confidence before God without reverence. God continues to be the sovereign creator. All the earth is is his. He is the holy one of Israel. We don't embrace the casual, oh, we just got our big daddy upstairs. God's my pal. Like we have the best available smartphone in our pocket and we can access him whenever we are, whenever we want, and get whatever we desire. That's not who God is. 
God wants to meet us, and that is such good news. That the Almighty would want to know us, want us to know Him. Want us to be in an intimate relationship with Him. Whoa, that's good news. But we must be prepared to be awestruck, to be shaken, to worship with reverence and awe, to repent, to change. We need to change dramatically. That's true for me, that's true for you. We live in a world desperate for priests of the living almighty God. Our civilization is so far from who God is. We are so disoriented, so lost. And if we in this day are not priests in the world, who will be? If we don't take God seriously, if we don't worship him with reverence and awe, who will? We live in a world that disregards God, that despises him, that looks at him with derision. Oh, may we be a people called to be holy, a people that enters God's presence with reverence, that repents, that turns from sin, that knows that life is found in Jesus and Jesus alone, that we depend on him for every breath, And that the whole world needs to hear about the God, the Father, who loved us in Jesus so that we might know him and be saved from sin and live with him eternally. May we meet God. May I be able to say, hey, I met God today. May you be able to say that. May that be your confession. And having met him, may we wait for that last trumpet blast signaling Christ's return And may we be ready. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. I'll pray for three groups of people. I'll pray for the skeptical. I'll pray for those who may want to surrender their lives to Jesus today for the first time. And I'll pray for all who seek to follow Jesus. So Lord, first of all, I pray for those who might be here and just their hearts and minds may just be full of questions like, who is God anyways? What is this story in Exodus all about? Do I even believe that you exist, God? I pray for them. I thank you, Lord, that you are not afraid of our questions. And I pray that they would pray this prayer. Lord, if you're real, then reveal yourself to me. Speak to me so that I might understand. And I pray for those who may have been on a journey for a while and today's the day when they want to surrender themselves to you. They know that they need you, Jesus. And they're ready to just lay it down and say, Jesus, have my life. I surrender my life to you. Save me. Set me free. I need you. There's going to be a prayer um, up on the screen. And you can pray this prayer along with me. God, I desire to know you personally. Please forgive me for leading my own life and, and rejecting your love. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and paying the price for all my sin. I ask you 
to forgive my sins. Jesus, lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free. Make me into the kind of person you created me to be. Transform me into your likeness, Jesus. Thank you, God, for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, then I encourage you to go back to the Welcome Center or come forward to talk to me, talk to the person who brought you. Don't go home without talking to someone about that. We'd love to encourage you in your journey. Now, Lord, I pray for all of us. I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters. Oh, God, may this just be a burning desire within us to meet with you today, each day. Thank you that you speak. It's by your grace that you speak. Thank you that you're faithful. You keep your word. Thank you that you're eager to meet with us. It's because of your steadfast love. Thank you that you speak with purpose, with intention, that you have wonderful plans for us, that you've saved us, that you've recreated us in Christ Jesus for good works, that you have a reason for us to be here today. And so, Lord, may we allow you to change the way that we think. May we allow you to change the way that we make decisions, the way that we live, the way that we do marriage and family and single life, whatever it is, Lord, that uh, whatever our condition today, Lord, may we live for your glory. May we understand what it means to be those people that represent you here on earth. Oh God, as we spend time in prayer this week, as we enter your presence daily, may we come in worship. May we repent for sin. May we expect to hear from you. May we immerse ourselves in your, your word and allow you, Lord, to, to, to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us. Thank you, Lord, that you want to speak to us about the things that are going on in our lives, that you want to direct us. You don't want us to walk alone. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit with us today and forever. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for abiding in us. So, Lord, thank you that we can enter this week with joy and confidence and hope because of you. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.